Good morning, everybody. Um, I just want to say, Amber, God gave you the songs today. It's, just, it's Sometimes it blows me away how God, like I never talked to Amber about what I was going to talk about today. And there's a couple of the songs basically preached at just like the whole thing. So, yeah, that's always amazing. It blows me away when that kind of thing happens. So you can see the title of what I'm working with here is The Earth is the Lord's. That's the first line of Psalm 24 for anybody who's uh, wondering where that comes from. Um, but I'm going to start with Psalm 19, or at least the first couple of verses of song, Psalm 19. And you can read it there. It's a little bit small. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now, if you can relate this to the second to last song that we were singing during worship. It's that song is based on this psalm and a few other psalms that are out there. It's just wonderful the way that came together. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. I'm not going to go into the whole psalm, but that particular part... They've made some discoveries um, in astrophysics, of course, with the modern technology that we have, where uh, from the psalmist, David wrote this psalm. From the psalmist's perspective, it says that they, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Of course, now they have technology to listen to space. And it's not that there's no sound out there, it's just that we can't hear it. But there is sound out there. And that they say, um, depending on your perspective and what you're, you're um, ready to admit about the thing, they're hearing the echoes of God's speaking the universe into existence. Of course, the scientists usually won't call it that. But they are listening, they say, to the echo of the Big Bang. Now, wherever you stand on that, uh, about how long ago God spoke things into existence or whether he did or not, there is an echo still out there that's telling the story of creation. And it's absolutely amazing. In Romans chapter 1 and 2, Paul discusses this issue and he says there, we have no excuse for not seeing. The second scripture quote that I want to uh, use is, uh, like I said, it's out of Psalm 24. It's only the first two verses. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. We have the macro evidence which is that immense, incredible universe that's out there. And we have the micro-evidence of planet Earth. If you want to look out there, everything you look at testifies to the Creator. 
And if you want to look here, everything you look at testifies to the Creator. Everything you hear testifies. Everything we see, everything we hear. And you can include your other senses if you want. A recent report, leave this one up, this is a, a portrayal of our galaxy, the Milky Way, of course, so we can't really get a picture of it, but uh, because we're in it, so we can't sort of stand outside of it. We can get pictures of distant space and other galaxies, and they have those, um, but it's pretty hard for us to get a, you know, a very good picture of the Milky Way. We can get angles on, but we're kind of on one of the outer, outer spirals of the thing. So we're, we're fairly far out on one of the arms. If we were in the middle of it, we couldn't exist. The gravitational forces would tear everything apart. But anyway, it's estimated that there are 100 billion, billion stars in our galaxy. It's an average-sized galaxy. It's not over big. It's not really small. And it's also estimated that there are 100 billion, and you remember again the song was quoting 100 billion. So they were taking some of the science that we're working with here and amalgamating with scripture. 100 billion galaxies. That's a rough estimate, right? Now if you figure out how many stars there are in 100 billion galaxies, it's 100 billion times 100 billion I don't know what that number would be called. It's 10 to the 22nd. Okay? So whatever that is. In other words, it's so big nobody can conceive of it. Recently, there was a kind of an analysis done. It's being done all the time. You know, people are playing with these things all the time. About the likelihood of finding life beyond planet Earth... And you know that they're looking for it all the time, right? They're trying to find it on Mars or, you know... Mars is the only other, and perhaps one of the moons of Jupiter, they kind of speculate about, uh, is the only other place in our solar system where they conceive there might even be the remotest chance of finding anything like a microbe, even. Or like a frozen microbe or a pre-microbe or something, you know? So far, they've come up with nothing. They keep hoping. They've done an analysis of that and say, well, Earth is the only place in our solar system where there is life. Then they look at the Milky Way galaxy and they do these projections of the likelihood of finding life anywhere else in the Milky Way galaxy. And a whole lot of scientists have been working on this and they use different projections and you know some of them think it's more likely and some think it's less not to bore you with this kind of stuff too much but I find it really really incredibly fascinating that they're willing to use so much energy on this when we have so many other practical problems that you know <laughs> anyway um, the likelihood they've come to a conclusion they being a whole bunch of these people that work on this stuff that there is life anywhere else in the Milky Gate. Well, this gives you the range. And, and we're talking about life like a, a single-celled organism, the simplest form of a living thing, unless you count a virus, which some people say isn't a living thing. But anyway, anything like that, the likelihood is somewhere between 52 and 98% that there is no 
other place in the Milky Way galaxy that there is even a single-celled organism that could be called life. Okay? Again, we won't go into the, how they analyze this stuff. And, and then they, of course, project that beyond and say, well, okay, there's, let's, let's say that there's, a, you know, very likely there's no life anywhere in the Milky Way. Gal, what about the whole universe? I mean, surely with 100 billion galaxies out there, there's got to be something somewhere in that whole vast array. And again, the, you know, there's a big range that they give to this, but the consensus is that it's somewhere between the 42 and 85% likely that there is no, zero life anywhere else except for Earth in the whole known universe. Now, if you're not a creationist, not a believer, that kind of blows your... Well, I, think, I would think blows your perspective to smithereens. And what is all this for, anyway? We're just this freak. Planet Earth is an absolute freak. Why? This one place... Is there this incredible? I mean, it's not just a few simple things. And then we can go into this analysis of what is the likelihood out of the primordial soup of whatever they called, you know, was there at the beginning of Earth's existence of anything coming out that looks like life. Some people have calculated the odds of that of 10 to the 350. Again, I mean, these are numbers nobody has any conception of, right? 10 to 350 is more than all of the atoms that exist in the whole universe. Okay. So, what does this leave us with? It leaves us with some very serious questions. That if you're a thinking person, whether you're creationist, evolutionist, or Theistic evolutionist, atheist evolutionist, I don't care. That doesn't matter. But you have to answer the question of why anything exists, why anything called life exists, and why it's only in one place. But in all likelihood, and what does it mean? Well, if you're in the place where there's no creator... The universe is going to implode at some point, 150 billion years projected down the road or something. And what is the meaning of it anyway? Zippo. What does that amount to? If you're a creationist, you're in such a better place. <laughs> you have an answer. It's not just a meaningless accident. It's an incredible, miraculous thing. And it's here for some reason. I mean, why would a creator make all of this stupendous, incredible, beautiful, unconceivable thing for no reason? Is it just a prank? Is it just a whim? Is it just some kind of thing that came out of the creator's head one day? Wow, it would not be cool to try that. Monotheists, Christians, Jews, Muslims, 
stand in the creationist camp. And there are other people who could be creationists, like you can have, uh, I guess, a deistic kind of creationist too. And back in the Enlightenment, they had people like that. And there's a few around still today who think there's some kind of creative supreme being who made it all and then just stand back and let it go. Just made, here's some laws, it'll run itself. But if you're in the creationist camp, that is just not a satisfactory explanation of anything. And in fact, it doesn't even stand up to the evidence, the examination of the evidence that we have in front of us. It doesn't. Everything, like we were saying, Psalm 19, Psalm 24, there's a bunch of other places in Scripture, but you don't have to be even go to Scripture to use your common sense to say that there's the stamp of a creator everywhere on this. Some people call that intelligent design, which is anathema in the scientific community. The orthodox scientific community can't stand that idea, intelligent design. Well, it sure looks like there was it put together with a purpose, but, I mean, that's just an accident, right? Yeah, but everything you look at looks like intelligent design from that microcell organism to the most stupendous galaxy which keeps itself in order somehow. From the teeniest to the most immense, everywhere we see design, purpose, a reason. Why waste all of that beauty on nothing, on something that means nothing. We look at a galaxy, and of course we can get other pictures of other galaxies, and, and if you look at a picture like that, I mean, that could be some other galaxy. Does that look like, not look like there's a design involved in it? That there's incredible beauty involved in it? I mean, look at the colors. They didn't invent that. You can find all of that stuff out there. But then, if we look at our world here, what are we seeing here? I mean, outside, we can see some natural things there. Every one of those trees, every one of those trees is individual. No two of them are identical. Every single person in the human beings that are on this planet right now, approximately, again, that was quoted in one of the Psalms, is absolutely unique, has never existed before and will never exist again. You are unique. I mean, they could clone, I suppose, theoretically, clone one of us. And some of you say, why would they ever want to do that? But, okay. Um, they could. They've cloned sheep or something before, right? But you know what? Even the clones are not identical to the parent, if you want to call it that. They're not. Circumstances are different for every person that's ever lived. Certain things about you, you, can, you have no control over. You. Like, you don't control the genetic package your, your parents gave you, right? You don't. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff you can't control around you, too, right? You can't control what other people are going to do. You can't control the way nature is going to behave. Every single one of us, though, no matter if you're an identical twin, anybody an identical twin in here? No identical twin? Anybody? No? I mean, K-N-O-W? Identical twins? Yeah? Are identical twins identical? Are they? They look a lot 
alike physically, right? But when you actually get to know them, you realize, wow, they're really pretty different people. They may share a lot of characteristics, like a bit, you know, certain gestures and stuff like that, family traits. You can even find that in siblings. But still, and you, you parents all know about that, right? Oh, that is so much my mom, you know, something like that. But all different, no copies. What does that say about who we are? And why we're here. Scripture says something about that too. It says all of us, human beings, are we, we not only bear the stamp of the creator in terms of being a creature made by the creator specially. Every, every creature is made specially. Special creation. I mean, that's a given. That is, in Scripture, it is a given. No two things are identical. No two things will be identical. None of us is identical. We're all special. Now, you know, some people say, you know, if everything is special, nothing is special. Wrong. Everything is special because everything is special from God's perspective. Our problem is that we're blind and can't see it most of the time. We get so used or dulled or semi-comatose by being around all of this specialness that we miss it. And the easiest place it is to miss is right in front of our eyes. It's easy sometimes to go somewhere else and say, well, like if you've been, you know, on a special trip, you've gone somewhere, you say, wow, that was so cool. Like some of us went to Israel in March, and we thought, wow, that was so cool. If you're an Israeli living there, you don't spend all the time walking around and say, wow, this is so cool. I mean, you live in probably the most fascinating, historically fascinating place in the whole world, but you don't wander around every day thinking about, wow, you know, like there's that fabulous ruin over there. Just like you in here in, in, in the Ottawa area, how many people have been to Parliament? Okay, quite a few, good. But a lot of people never have been and never will go. Not that you necessarily want to, but um, actually, yeah, it's cool to go a few times anyway. But point is, the very special thing about human beings that's different from all these other special things is that we were made a little bit differently from everything else and everybody else. We call that being made in the image of God. And this is where we get blind and can't see. It's hard to see that sometimes. Probably a lot of days, the people you're dealing with don't remind you very much about the image of God. Come on, you're kidding. My boss is made in the image of God? Or if you're a young person, you know, in class at school, and you're thinking, okay, you've got to be serious. Mr. So-and-so is made in the image of God? I mean, he's the nastiest teacher out there, right? Or you, you can extrapolate that. That druggie sitting on the sidewalk, begging, 
is made in the image of God. If you want to go back a little bit in history, Adolf Hitler is made in the image of God. Seriously? Who you are doesn't change that. What happens, though, is that we become deaf and blind and forget or maybe never learned who we are and what we were made to be. So we're walking around in a world which is mostly blind and deaf. And what's, where does that leave us? We, I don't want to go too long here, we have the job here. We, as being people, now, unless you're not there yet, but you're still made in the image of God, even if you're not, okay? We have the job of, first of all, coming out of our sort of semi-comatose state, which we kind of move through life in most of the time. And I confess I'm as guilty as everybody, anybody, okay? A lot of my days, it's kind of like, here we go, another day, you know, another thing to do, and all of that stuff. But the job in front of me, if you want to call it that, or the privilege I have is to get up in the morning and understand I am made in God's image. This world has got the stamp of God's hand everywhere in it. Everybody I meet is made in God's image. All of these things are from God's hand. God, open my eyes. Help me to see this. Because sometimes, it's like I say, say, the only place the light breaks through is in in that little crack that comes into the, the stupor. Okay? Now, what does that look like? Well, it's not always easy to do. It's not easy to do when you're going through one of those really tough spots. When you're in one of those places where it just seems like you've got to be kidding. I don't see God here with me now. I can't hear him. I haven't heard him in however long. In Scripture, and in so many lives of you know, Christians today and from the past, there's a, it says that we have the chance to make a decision, a choice to make a decision. So I can get up in the morning feeling like awful, right? But I also have a choice to make a decision and saying, well, you know what? That's how I sort of feel emotionally, but I choose to recognize that I am still God's child. I'm still made in his image, and this world is his. And when I go out there, I'm walking into God's world. I'm not walking into the, you know, oh, here we go into rush hour, and I'm rushing in to do whatever, and my mind's going at a whirlwind pace, you know, of, of all the stuff I'm supposed to do today, and, and uh, you know, that could be wherever it is, your work or your home life or whatever it is. I mean, all this stuff, look at my schedule. How am I ever going to... There are points where we can consciously choose to connect. It's always a good thing to do when you get up in the morning before you get going, right? But throughout the day, 
Brother Lawrence was a, a French monk in the sev- uh, 17th century, the 1600s, wrote a, a, a jewel of a little book called Practicing the Presence of God. It's an absolutely wonderful little book. It's considered a spiritual classic. And his point in that book, to sum it up, and it's worth reading. Don't just take my, you know, two-line summary or something. It's worth reading, and it's not long at all. Was that he, despite all that stuff that I'm talking about here, from his perspective in the 1600s, he was going to make a decision every day to recognize that whatever he was doing, and in the monastery, he had one of the lowliest kind of jobs. He was kind of like the scrubber guy, clean it up, you know. Um, and he got sent off on these really drudgery kind of assignments to go and, you know, take delivery of the food from somewhere and stuff. And it was pretty messy and dirty, and it was a lot of work. But he said, I am going to make a decision to recognize that God is with me no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm scrubbing the toilet or I'm talking to some merchant negotiating for some kind of food or whatever it was. Over the years, he became recognized as a holy person, meaning other people. What, what that means is holy here is not like, you know, so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good, right? Holy here means recognizing that God has chosen me. I'm his child. And that doesn't matter, you know, like, yeah, the devil is saying, no, you got God's child. Look at the mess you've made here. You know, look at the sin. That's, that's, yeah, you need to confess that. You need to deal with it. But it doesn't change who you are. Okay. He became recognized as a holy person. People started going to him, recognizing there's something like... There's something, there's so much peace. There's so much calm in your life. There's so much light in your life. Where's this coming from? And it was a lot of work to get to a place like that. But there's a promise. When you strive after God, what's he going to do? Say, gee, that's nice. I'm glad you're working so hard. I don't want to make this into a works thing. That's not the point. It's not a works thing. It's a relational thing. It's a heart thing. God is after our hearts. He's not after your performance. He doesn't care about the stuff you're doing. I mean, it could be even really good stuff for God, right? Whatever that looks like. You're serving God, can be serving God, can be choosing to serving God, no matter where it is you are, no matter what you're doing. I don't care what your job is. God doesn't in a sense, care about that. He's got a calling for you, but he doesn't care. What he cares about is how you're meeting him there. And that can be every day, anywhere you are. Whether you're at the job, you can meet God there. In fact, you are. We need to open our eyes. Okay. These things are open to all of us. sort of hesitate to sometimes to talk about personal things, but sometimes they help illustrate things, okay? There was a time when I was going through, you know, a pretty, it wasn't dark, but it was really kind of discouraged place. And, you know, what am I doing this for? What's it all for and everything? I mean, you, you know, 
I, I'm pretty good at theology. I can understand the theological stuff, but there was nothing there. It was kind of like, and, it was, and then I began to cry out to God, and this is where I'm going for you. It's like, you can cry out to God and keep crying out to God, and if he doesn't answer right away, that doesn't mean he's not going to answer. There might be, you know, there might be stuff you've got to get through before something else is going to happen. Okay, so for this went on for a while for me, and I would get in my car, since I commuted to work every day, like 45 minutes, I decided that 45 minutes was a time that I didn't have to have the radio on all the time. I didn't have to be listening to the news talks channel or, the, you know, blasting my mind out so I can be distracted, you know, with all the, the, the morning rock music and whatever. I turned it all off. I mean, and I said, you know what? I'm going to spend this time with God. Now, that's easy to say, right? But your mind tends to 15 directions, right? Again, back, hold it, hold it, hold it, not to the next thing I've got to do when I get into work, etc., right? And I would sit there, and I'd be in the car, and I'd say, all right, and I would make a point of not putting my stuff on the other, on the passenger side seat in the car. Because I said, Jesus, you're my passenger today. You're with me. And this is symbolic. It sounds dumb maybe, but it was kind of important for me to do this, right? So I'd move it. And I'm thinking, okay, let's talk. I just unload. And of course, some, the silence was sometimes deafening, right? Anyway, long story short, one day I walked out of the house, closed the door, and I, okay, however you want to understand this, he met me when I walked outside the door, right there. And it was just like, come on, took me by the arm. This is, this all language, but it felt very much like this, like, you know, this, this beautiful close friend met me as I stepped out the door, took me by the arm, Got down, I got in the car, and he got in the other car door, and we just drove to work together. Now, what did that look like? You know what I'm talking about, Jim? Yeah? Okay, there's a man who drives for a living. Okay? This never happened again, but it meant so much to me at the time. I was driving all the way to work through what I can only describe as the Shekinah glory of God. I, I don't even know how to explain that. It was light everywhere. It, I mean, and I'm not talking about seeing auras before you have a migraine or something. I've seen those. I get those. It was, I don't know, it was almost like I was being transported. I was driving, but it was completely unconscious. Like, in a sense, I was going through the mechanical motions, not making mistakes and stuff. But it was like I was in this other, I was in this hyper. You can say, okay, you, guys, you need a psychoanalyst or something. Okay. I was in this hyper awake state. Like, absolutely, totally awake. Awake that I was driving through God's world, his creation, his presence was literally to my eyes everywhere. I didn't care whether the other people saw it or not. I knew that most of them had no notion of it. In fact, I usually don't have any notion of it except for in my head. But there, on this particular day, 
I was privileged and allowed to see. And it was everywhere. It was on everything. I, when I got to work, I got out of the car. He walked me to the door. I walked in, and of course, everything comes down, right? Like, er, hey, we're at work now. And the light was gone. The physical light was gone. Anyway, it doesn't happen every day, right? Can you have an experience of God in your ordinary life? Of course you can. In fact, it's important that we do. It is really important that we become aware that that is possible. That I can see God, I can see him in, in, in the other people around me. Whatever their, whatever their visage portraying, like, I mean, they might be in, you know, a really grumpy place. Like, you look at their face, wow, they must be really grumpy today. You know, um, I've been told that about me too, but, um, okay. But, that could be. And you can tell that they're going through something. You know, unless God really tells you, don't, you know, don't intrude on that. But, um, if God is showing you this kind of stuff... What's it for? Well, it's number one to recognize who he is and who you are. Okay? Number two, it's for you to pray for the people that you're seeing. Some of them know him. Some of them don't. Chances are that most of them don't. Another experience I had, I'm sorry, running over, I'll, I'll end very quickly, okay, was when I was living at my son Samuel's place for several years when I was in the last of my working career at school, um, there was about two or three months where I, got, I was taking the bus the last year and a half, um, and so the bus rides can be pretty monotonous and stuff, and again, you tune out and stuff, okay? But again, I got kind of Say, so I shouldn't be so like zoned into my own little space. Like, so again, the bus ride became an occasion to sort of like, can I wake up here? God began to show me. I get to, he said, pay attention to the people instead of like zoning into your own little space, right? Pay attention to the people. And gradually over time, as I began to watch, I didn't, I, I was not trying to be freaky, you know, like, you know, you know, like people can really get, oh, you know. I didn't have to look very long. It was just like God started to show me things about some of the people there. What was that for? It wasn't so I could go up to them and say, I think you got this going on in your life, right? God just said, pray for them. Just pray for them. That's all you need to do. Just pray for them. So, from the macro out there to the micro right here, there is no separation, guys. There's no separation. God is truly everywhere. That out there was made by his hand for us to understand how incredibly wonderful, glorious, creative, beautiful. You, you add your own adjective in there, 
powerful, I don't care, omniscient. You know, use all the theological language if that helps you. But it is for us to wake up. We're looking out there at the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day and night. Yeah, it's cloudy today. They're still declaring because the creator made that cloud that's hiding the splendor out there. He still made that. That's part of his natural way. The way he made things to be. He also made the earth and everything in it and the seas and everything that's them. And we don't even know yet everything that's in the seas. In fact, we don't even know everything about the earth itself, the visible thing that we can see without going under the ocean. They're still discovering new stuff. We have this conceit that we know so much. The one thing we don't know, but we can know a little bit more about, is the mind of God. But his mind is this. His mind is that he made us in his image because he loves us. There's no other reason for it. It's not because he's some kind of weird wacko who needs adulation and even worship. I mean, he wants us to worship him not because he needs our worship, but because we need our worship of him. That's who we're made to be in relationship to him. We're made for that. We talk about dying and going to heaven. And, you know, one of the theological, uh, theological constructs of heaven is we'll spend eternity worshiping God. And, of course, our, our idea of that is like, oh, man, you've got to be kidding, sitting around playing music and singing these hymns and stuff. And like, eh, you know what? I think that that is pretty much irrelevant. We'll be worshiping God with everything we are and, and everything that's possible for sure. But we have, you know, such a limited idea of what that really is. Anyway. I should conclude. Um, So we have this fabulous, fabulous thing, guys. And we should be awake and aware and walking in it every day. And your friends and your family, and they're God's children. That's who they are. You're God's child. That's who you are. And you were made for him. And he made you special. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for who you are. For this incredible, fabulous creation. From the extreme end of the universe, which is 100 billion galaxies, to this tiny speck we call planet Earth, which is so unique and so special. Everything declares that you are God. And there is no other And so do we declare that, each one of us, made in your image, however that is understood. So, Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive all that you are and all that you have for us. Help us to walk with you day by day, practicing your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.